I told Mark tonight it was good to have another voice in the lineup, and uh, I think he did a great job. My only commentary would be, I wish you'd bring a little more enthusiasm to it, Mark. Just bring, bring it a little bit. You're kind of slowing us down. You did a nice job. I appreciate your enthusiasm and energy and joy. It's always good to have the audience warmed up a little bit before the, the sermon. As we are in John on Sunday nights, we have been calling this our journey with John. And if you're following along in your Bible, you want to go to John chapter 11, where we look at the fifth of the I am statements in John. Um, we said before, and if you, those of you who are deep students, sometimes they say there's eight I am students if you count before Abraham was I am. But for this series, we're just using what I call the classic seven, and this is number five. Uh, in any case, we have two more left to go, and uh, this is probably the top for me. This is my favorite one. The older I get, the more funerals I attend. And that's not just because of being in ministry, but certainly it compounds that. The lessons I've learned, the uh, things that I've experienced doing a service, a memorial or a funeral, and also participating as an audience member, listening and learning from one's life. I'm always left, as I attend something like that in, in either of those roles, uh, with this the sense of urgency about life, especially the older you get, right? That, that, that the time is coming when you're participating in a funeral, when you're performing one, you realize, as it becomes evident to everyone in the room, that someday we'll all be at that day. Someday we will come to a point where everyone in the audience is thinking about our lives where the stories that are shared are about things that we did in our life. And it's normal during that process to say, I wonder what my legacy will be. Tonight, we go to a funeral. And we actually go post-funeral, I guess, so to speak, as we go to Jesus' friend Lazarus. Now, we kind of set this up last week, but we are in John chapter 11. And we're going to be at verse 17 is where we're going to start. Um, he says, as we, as we jump into this, um, we're going to start in chapter, I'm sorry, I said chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. And I'm going to start by reading verses 17 through 24. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews who had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 
And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I know Jesus was talking to her right at the moment, but can I just very pointedly ask you, do you believe it? Because it's really the crux of the whole thing. It all falls apart. Paul would later say our faith is futile if we don't believe in the resurrection that comes through Jesus. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, we'll jump back into the story in just a minute, but I want to start by thinking a little bit about what's happening here. Lazarus has died. We learned that last week. And his death was something that was well known. It it appears, and we'll learn this from next week's story, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, uh, although we're not given the total picture of who they are, they had apparently some means and possibly some influence in the community. They were consoled by many. She says something that makes us kind of wince. It says, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Now, I don't read that as a rebuke, but rather just as simply a statement of her faith and trust in Jesus. She, she goes on to say, I now, I know even now, if you're here, everything's going to be okay. This idea of resurrection that she was familiar with is, wasn't new to her, and it wasn't a new idea at that time. In fact, it wasn't even a new teaching to Jesus or a new teaching in John. I'm sure most of you as Sunday Night Bible students will remember John chapter 5, about verse 28 through 30, where Jesus said previously, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment I'm not sure how many funerals you've been to, how many burials you've been at, where the, they are, you're standing there around the casket. But oftentimes in that moment, performing the graveside service, especially for a beloved one who's in Christ, I realize that, that according to Jesus, because of the resurrection, uh, they've gone into the grave, but not permanently. They will come out. That the grave cannot hold those who have their faith and trust in Jesus. Now Martha, and this will kind of lead to our first point, Martha believes in that idea. She believes that there's coming a future day, a resurrection day. But she didn't see hope for today. And I think that's something we can probably all identify with at some level. Have you you been there? Do you you identify with Martha in this moment? Yes, I know resurrection is coming. But that doesn't save me from the chemo that I've got to go through. Yeah, I know resurrection is coming, but the water pump on my truck is about to go out. It's going to cost me a lot of money. I I know resurrection is coming, but man, curse this road construction. I thought we'd get an amen out of that somewhere. 
It's that, it's that in the long term we believe the promise, but we, we let, we, we sort of forget that, that if that is true, how trivial, how, how very, very small all of the concerns, all of the stresses, all even of the heartache, even of the genuine stuff that's difficult and hard becomes as such a, as, as, as a shadow in the light of resurrection. I know that will happen someday, but Jesus, I'm worried about today. And the problem as I see it is if you had been here, my brother would not have died. May we put our resurrection hope not just in that day. It's coming. We're closer now than we've ever been. But may we also put our hope and keep our hope for today. Do you believe this? You see, the truth of Jesus was not hinged on her belief. He's, he's not saying it, it all depends on you. But her eternity and ours depends on that belief and that trust. Can you imagine? She runs out to him. She's been waiting for him. She's been watching for him. She's been hoping for him. She's put her trust in him. And as he's having this close, very intimate conversation, he gets right up in front of her. And he needs her to answer, do you believe this? You see, it's that, it's this moment of very intimate closeness and connection. I know you, Mary. I know you, Martha. I realize the depth of grief that you must be going through. But I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now that I've completely creeped out the teens and Dwayne too... It, it, I just need you to understand that Jesus is not preaching a sermon here. I mean, he's kind of preaching a sermon, but he's talking to a heart here. He's connecting with a person, and not just a person, but a friend. He needs her to understand that what happened four days ago does not change the reality of what's about to happen today. And the, the reality for us is what happened 2,000 years ago should not change our perspective, or should drastically change our perspective, not just for that day, but for today. The whole purpose was for him to testify that he was the resurrection and the life. We've studied this several times throughout the studies. I'm sorry, you're saying right now you're like... Toby, don't go to John chapter 20. Don't go to John chapter 20. We already know what John chapter 20 says. But, rebellious preacher that I am, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. The whole purpose of Jesus' life, and indeed the whole purpose of John writing it down, is to bring Jesus into our comfort zone. To just drag him right into the point where we are a little uncomfortable that the space he's not giving us. For him to be able to ask the question, do you believe this? May we not... Put our hope just in the future, but may that belief affect us radically today. Number two, Mary 
set her heart on the past. Uh, we're back in John chapter 11 now, and we're going to be at verse 28, and I'm going to read through verse 34. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly, quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, they asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Mary... Her heart is not yet where Martha's is. Her heart is four days ago. Her heart is 96 hours ago. The house was full of weeping and mourning people. The Jewish tradition was everyone had mourners there, some because they knew the person, but some because they were hired. Even the poorest families were required to hire a very simple one or two mourners for the dead. Their house was full. So we know that they had some means and possibly some influence. And Jesus himself is deeply moved at what has happened. The Greek word there. Uh, means an inward kind of angst, anger, outrage, and frustration. Not, of course, at Mary or Martha or those who have come to mourn, but because of the pain and sorrow that death has unleashed on Adam's race. If you've been to a funeral that was too soon, You've been where Jesus is. That anger, that outrage, that frustration, that death is no respecter of age. Be it a very young child, be it a a young lady who's just beginning her life, be it someone whose life was tragically taken. Talking this morning with someone about the couple that was killed over by Clearwater. They had just married the day before. Killed 24 hours later in a car accident. A lot of outrage, a lot of frustration, a lot of difficulty. But Jesus' outrage and frustration is that we have, since the beginning, been fighting a battle with our old enemy, death, and losing again and again. The prophet Isaiah said of Jesus this, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with sufferings and grief. 
When Mary goes out to see Jesus, it's not in a rush. She's at the house. When she does go to see him, she weeps at Jesus' feet. Perhaps because she believed she was, uh, that he was rather the answer to the problem, but he came too late. The problem has come and gone. The answer didn't arrive in time, and she was plagued with the dreaded if only. This is, uh, I understand that memory is one of God's greatest blessings, but it can also be a tremendous weight on the soul. To be in the if only part when you have experienced tragedy or an untimely death and you're close to the person, you go through the if onlys. Perhaps she's thinking, if only I had sent word earlier, if only I had done more. Maybe even she's thinking, if only Jesus had been faster. Maybe you've been there. If only. If only I had done more. If only I had said something. If only we had taken a different route. If only we had gone another way. If only we hadn't been home. If only, if only. Worrying, someone once said, is believing that God won't get it right. And bitterness is believing that somehow God got it wrong. You can sense her grief. Perhaps you've been there. Lord, if you had been here. He was close. He could have been there. Which reminds us, the reader, who get the advantage of knowing the end of the story, is that this story is not over. And maybe that's the perspective we need to keep too. That, that there's a purpose and a reason and a plan behind everything. And most of the time our frustration is our limitation at seeing and knowing it fully. Join me back in John chapter 11. We go to now, I'll start from verse 34. This is where we left off. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, the best known and easiest Bible trivia verse to answer in the world. Jesus wept, the shortest verse. Then Jesus, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's just a small little point that we should recognize that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. uh, There will always be a critic right there. (laughs) This is Jesus, the Son of God. About ready to raise a dead man who's been dead for four days. And he's getting criticized. Don't let that deter you. The only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing, to do nothing, and to be nothing. So keep right on. That's not the the whole point here. Verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. Don't you understand there's a little decorum here? 
by this time, Lord, uh, there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go in what the teens would call a mic drop kind of moment. Martha is focused on the future. Mary's heart is in the past. and Jesus, he is simply powerfully present. They, they offer Jesus as he, as he goes to the tomb the same invitation that John offers us, that, that they offered Jesus at the beginning of John's book. Come and see, Lord. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? We love to answer and, and debate and wonder about that question. The Greek word indicates sort of a silent weeping. This is not a, a, a dramatic kind of thing. It's... It's the moment when you see somebody talking and you see the tear, the, the tear coming down their eye, and you know that they're weeping, but it's, it's much more prevalent on the inside than it is on the outside. I don't believe that those tears that he shed on that day were for Lazarus. He was going to undo that. He understood death's limited power in the presence, in his presence. But I think maybe he wept for a few reasons. First, we have to remember that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. And being fully human, the fully human part of that, understood our anguish and our sadness in death. Because he was fully God, he had to be frustrated at our lack of ability to see what he can see, to know what he can know. The best illustration I can think of this is as a parent or grandparent, when you have a child or grandchild with you, and and you've got something great planned for them, but you can't fully explain it or share it or let them know, because you want them to experience it in the moment. And so uh, they they ask questions, and they want to know more, and you, you have to wrestle with that. And at some point, you just have to say, just trust me, it's going to be great. I think he was weeping because he loved the sisters and he loved Lazarus and he hated to see their pain. I think he understands our pain and does not deal with it lightly. He was going to bring back his friend from paradise. I mean, (laughs) you ever have that really good dream? Like, it's just an amazing, um, I, I do not, uh, you know, advocate playing the lottery or anything like that, but, but if you have that dream where you win the, however hundreds of millions of dollars there are, 
And you're just, you're just ecstatic. You're in the dream now. You're ecstatic. You have, you, there's no worries anymore. You just have everything you want. It, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. You have more than you can imagine. It's, it's greater than you ever dreamed. And then you wake up. <laughs> and it's usually because the dog wants to go outside and you're like, ah, can I just try to go back to sleep? But it never works, right? You can never get back to that place. That's a very small scale of what I think Lazarus probably experienced. He experienced the best four days that he has ever experienced in a place unlike he's ever been before of total peace, total comfort, free from pain, free from sorrow. And all of a sudden a messenger comes on that other side and said, come on, Lazarus. What? You're being called back. What? We have the perspective of Mary and Martha and the sadness and the mourning that was happening on this side. But we forget that Lazarus is about to lose the best experience he's ever known. Maybe Jesus is weeping for that. Roll away the stone, he says. Now this is kind of an interesting one to me. Why did the stone need to be removed? Jesus has healed the blind men. He's healed all these people. He's the great I am. He's the resurrection and the life, and he can't move this rock? Really? This is the problem? Uh, This same thing, by the way, happened when he was resurrected himself. The stone had to be rolled away. And we we maybe remember that the, the stone was rolled away not for him, but for us. Not so Lazarus could get out. I mean, in theory, Jesus could have done quite a show there. <laughs> he could have busted him out in a way that would have left all of them talking. But he just said, move the stone. It wasn't so Lazarus could get out. It was so that they could see in. That they could be reminded that Jesus is victorious over death. It's been four days. The smell of death is clear. You know the smell of death. I know you know it. Um, if you've, we grew up in a kind of an old farmhouse, and sometimes because it wasn't sealed up well, uh, there, you know, a little mouse, especially at the time of year, about the late fall, early winter, as all the creatures look for a warmer place, and they would come in, and sometimes they'd get trapped in the wall or, or get trapped where they couldn't get out, and you'd come home, and you could just, there was that smell, there's that un just absolutely clear sense there's been a death of something. Okay, Now imagine that times about a hundredfold. That's what they were sort of expecting. Um, in that, that day, of course, they didn't embalm bodies, but they would wrap them in spices. That's, he's wrapped in grave clothes. Those are interfused with perfumes and spices and things to kind of um, remediate it a little bit to make it better. In John chapter 20, I know you told me not to go there. But verse 1, John records these words. He says, now on the first day of the week, this is in Jesus' resurrection story. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away, had been taken away, some translations say, from the tomb. In my mind... 
I wonder if, as the disciples would come and verify this for themselves and see the stone rolled away, I wonder if there was ever, this is pure speculation, but I wonder if there was ever this conversation where they said, that was just like Lazarus. That was just like what he did then. Do you remember that? They told him there was going to be a bad smell and he did it anyway. I mean, there, there was this... There was this foreshadowing that's happening here of the victory, not just Lazarus's victory, an incredible story, but of Jesus's. John chapter 6, verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up On that last day. Glory to God. And we not forget. That what's happening here. Is not just for Lazarus. It's for Mary. It's for Martha. It's for the disciples. It's for us. And in a way that's different. And yet eerily similar. He pulls us close. Close enough where we're just almost to the point of being uncomfortable. And he reminds us very simply. With a four word question. Do you believe this? May we believe this. May we believe what John would later write in Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. We can be bitter over the past. You and I can worry about the future or we can trust Christ today and the hope that he gives us today and for that day. We leave this story with maybe three promises to be mindful of as we leave John chapter 11. Jesus offers us hope for resurrection. Because I live, you also will live, he said in John 14, 19. He he not only offers us that hope today, but he offers a final, future, complete resurrection someday. Um. I, I, I tell this story only because uh, I had to deal with it all summer, and I don't want you to pity me, okay? But most of you know I've had my eye injury, and I am so impressed by the eye. It's one of the most fascinating parts of, of our human bodies. It's, it was the thing that stumped Darwin, by the way. He said, he said my theory can't explain the eye. It, it's amazing. It truly is. It's a wonder. We see better than some of our best cameras can see, and this camera will last 70 to 80 years if we're, we stay out of trouble. And yet, in the injury, so that my right eye doesn't work like it should, and in thinking about resurrection, I'm, I'm so glad that even though this body's good, and this eye started out good, that someday I'm going to have a resurrection body and it's going to work, this eye is going to work better than it ever has. If you've got bad knees or arthritis or hip problems, if, if you've got health problems and struggles, you need to be reminded that you are closer now to the best body you've ever had. And that's not like, you know, P90X advertisement, okay? That's... <laughs> That is the truth of our resurrection body. John said this in 1 Thessalonians. Paul said this, excuse me. 
First Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Not only is the resurrection for us, but it's for those who have gone before us. And even though they sort of are in that sort of in-between, in that state of waiting on, in, in Abraham's side, uh, they are closer now to the resurrection body than they have ever been. And finally, we carry that promise with us. It's not just that day, it's today. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. It's not just that day. It's not just today. It's within us. When you come to Christ, not only do you receive the forgiveness of sins, which is a beautiful thing, but you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who did these amazing things in the, on Jesus' resurrection day and Lazarus' resurrection day. The Spirit that regenerates and brings life brings the same life to us. Brings dead men to life. Restores the coldest of hearts. Brings life where there was none previously. May we not forget the simple and profound lessons. It's so easy. and I just, I think sometimes we just skim over John chapter, oh yeah, Jesus healed blind. Oh yeah, Jesus raised that guy from the dead. There's profound and powerful and impactful lessons that we can draw and take away. May we do that tonight. I would be remiss if I didn't invite you to the great invitation uh, to join in the resurrection day. That day only happens because of Jesus. Uh, It is only through his power. It is only by the spirit that he was raised from the dead. And it's that spirit that needs to be within us as well. The scriptures are very clear. That happens at the moment where you... Profess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is Lord, that you repent of sin, you turn away from that, and that you are buried with Christ to be raised with Christ and to walk in newness of life. And that journey can begin today. If it hasn't begun for you, I want to invite you to take a few steps forward to the front. I'll be glad to meet you and help you at whatever point you are in your journey. Let us help you tonight, whatever way. If, you, if, you're, not, if you're in Christ but you need the prayers and the encouragement of the congregation, let us do that as well. We want to help you. We want to draw you closer to the resurrection Lord. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.